You're listening to the Goodbye July podcast, episode number nine. Do you ever pay attention to your internal dialogue? Like, do you ever stop and really just listen to it every once in a while? If so, then you're probably familiar with the little bully that lives inside your mind. You know the one, that infuriating, taunting voice in your head telling you you're not good enough, you cannot do it, you're not smart enough, droning on and on and on. You know the feeling. I'm talking about imposter syndrome. Well, my friend, you are not alone, and I want us to talk about it more so we can work towards squashing the damn thing once and for all. The more I connect with others who share similar experiences, the more mental fortitude I feel in dealing with this little monster each time it bubbles up, and the easier it becomes for us to ignore this uninvited guest who tears us down from the inside out, and the quicker we can get on with living our happiest lives and reaching our biggest goals. So today, we're talking about imposter syndrome, four strategies to stop it in its tracks, and I'll share a little-known story about one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. Hey, my name is Jessica Tolar, and I'm obsessed with all things passive income, productivity, entrepreneurship, and building a life where you make the rules. I'm a normal girl who took a free money class, asked a corporate executive how she retired early, and use that knowledge to build a seven-figure net worth, quit my nine-to-five, and now run an online business from countries around the world. I teach you the simple but effective secrets to building a life you adore. Think I'm special? No way. If I did it, so can you. Money, mindset, life hacks, hardship, growth, and planning are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as a weekly coffee date with a close girlfriend where you talk about the finance and business knowledge it'll take to make your dreams a reality. So take a seat, get comfortable, and prepare to be challenged and cheered on while you learn. This is the Goodbye July Podcast. This episode of the Goodbye July Podcast is sponsored by PureGrade Supplements. PureGrade is the all-natural supplement line that I use to get clear-minded, stay energized, feel great, and make every day as effective and efficient as possible. PureGrade is offering 10% off exclusively for Goodbye July listeners. Just go to puregradesupplements.com and use the code GOODBYEJULY at checkout to get started and get your mind and body back today. Just real quick before we get started, I have something for you that you are going to love. It's a free resource on budgeting, and I know, I know, budgeting may not feel like the most exciting topic, but it is the number one way to start on your path to mastering your money. There's no getting around it, it's just one of those things you have to do in order to move forward. But I've created a template that makes it much less painful, and once you fill it out once, the hardest part's over. Next month, you'll only have to fill in a few of the blanks rather than create it from scratch. Seriously, don't put it off. It is not as bad as you think. And honestly, the longer you wait, the harder it'll be later. So go get your free template today at jessicatoller.com slash what's my budget. Again, that's jessicatoller.com slash what's my budget. Okay, let's get back to today's episode. I'm going to kick things off with a story that I don't tell often because yes, I feel that it's super embarrassing, but it's relevant here and I think it lends itself to the topic of imposter syndrome. So here it goes. Not many people know this, but in my first year of college, I was on the University of Texas rowing team. I know, right? Super random for me. 
I was a swimmer my whole life, but I had exactly zero experience rowing until I decided on a whim to join the team my first semester of college. And while we're on the subject, let me just dispel a little myth. Rowing is not about your arms essentially at all. It's all in the legs. Next time you're at the gym, try the rowing machine and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, the rowing team was led by a coach named Caroline King, and she did not mess around when it came to fitness. Upon joining the team, we were told that we'd be doing two-a-days twice a week. The mornings were for cardio and weights, and then the evenings were for rowing. I showed up for my first evening practice and was shocked to hear that before we rowed, Coach King wanted us to run a mile around the lake here in Austin for a quote-unquote warm-up. <laughs> Now, if you're a runner or someone who has ever experienced a runner's high, even once, then I envy you because let me just tell you, running is not in my DNA. Furthermore, at the time, I was just at the beginning of my health journey, so I wasn't really in the best shape and my endurance was nothing to write home about. So I did my best. I ran at the end of that group of girls and worked as hard as I could to keep up. And once I finally made it back to the boat dock where we were then going to get the boats out and start rowing, It certainly looked like everyone else had been there a while. I was bright red and just dripping with sweat. So before we could actually start rowing, we had to pull the boats out of the boathouse. The boats were stored on kind of this like shelf thing. So about six to eight of us had to go all at once to lift the boat that was just over our heads out of the shelf. And then we would walk it down the hill and put it in the water. We had just gotten the boat off the shelf and I'm still standing there bright red dripping and I start to feel lightheaded. We're standing there holding that boat, preparing to walk down the hill. When it hit me, I was about to be sick. A hundred thoughts raced through my mind, but I ultimately just had to call it. So I raised my hand to ask for someone to take my spot holding the boat and had to admit in front of all my new teammates who were still strangers at the time that I was about to throw up. And then I ran to the bathroom to deal with it. (laughs) My God, I still squirm when I think about that day. There's no getting around it. It really sucked. And as I was sitting there alone on the bathroom floor, I had a million reasons to just go home. And I think everyone would have understood. But I also had the creeping thought that told me, you're not cut out for this. You're just not good enough. You should probably just head home and email Coach King that you're resigning from the team. And I knew in that moment that if I went home, I wouldn't come back. So I sat there and I told myself all the reasons I should stay. I used as much mental fortitude as I could muster. And I figured out a way to pick myself up and not only finish out that practice, but finish out the entire season. And I've been working on honing in on how to stop imposter syndrome in its tracks ever since. Here are my four favorite strategies, plus a bonus one at the end. The first strategy is a spin on something you'll most often see in the movies, but sometimes you'll see it in real life. Do you know how in some movies, when something really bad happens to someone, they'll shout, why me? Well, I don't know about you, but in my own life, I've caught myself a couple times asking this very question. Like it wasn't as dramatic as on TV, but it was really similar. It was more like the thought, "Ugh, why does this always happen to me? One of the biggest issues with imposter syndrome is that it often backs you into a corner of inaction. It keeps you from doing great things because it tells you you're not competent enough to do those things. And I realized that my mentality in these situations was also forcing me into a place of inaction. 
by looking at the things that were happening in my life and asking, why does this always happen to me? I was putting myself in this victim mentality that things were happening to me and not for me. I realized that reframing this question could help. So now when things don't go my way, I don't ask why me, but I do ask why not me. In other words, there's a reason these things are happening. And I choose to believe when things don't go my way, that there is a lesson I could learn, but I wouldn't be able to learn it if these things were not happening. So why not me? If these so-called bad things were not happening, I would not be able to learn the valuable lesson that's hidden within them. Asking why not me helps put me back in a position of power in those difficult moments, and I realized it works really well for imposter syndrome as well. So whenever you're feeling like a fraud or like you're not capable or not as capable as the next person, think about this. Every single thing that humans have ever created started as an idea in someone's mind. And research suggests that only 1% to 2% of people are true geniuses. So don't be like, oh, well, those people were just super smart. No. Great things are done by regular people every single day. So seriously, why not you? What exactly is stopping you from doing great things? You are just as capable as the next person, and you have ideas that are completely unique to you. Look around right now. Look at all the things around you. Outside of nature, every single thing that you see around you began as someone's idea. That chair you're sitting in? Someone's idea. That car you're driving? Someone's idea. Or the desk you're sitting at? Someone's idea. Even the HVAC system running through the building where you work or live was someone's idea. And if you have a big idea or want to do something that you're scared people will laugh at or dismiss or consider to be crazy, then think about this on an even bigger scale. Think about the greatest inventions in history. What do you think it was like in the 1700s when some guy told his town that he was going to lay some iron and wood for miles and miles across the country and put a gigantic moving steel box on it to carry things and people further and faster than ever before? I bet people thought that guy was insane. But that's how the first steam train was born, and that changed the world forever. Same with airplanes. Same with any big idea. Think of how the inventors of the most impactful creations in the world felt when they first thought up their never-been-done-before idea. They probably felt ridiculous. They probably thought, no, there's no way I could ever do that. But they did. They pushed past all that negative, unhelpful internal chatter, and they moved themselves. They probably asked, well, why not? And why not me? You have great ideas hidden deep within you, like jewels waiting to be discovered inside the earth. Or maybe they're not even that deep. Maybe they're at the surface, like seashells being rocked back and forth by the reaching fingers of the ocean waves. Wherever they lie, I encourage you to pay attention because they are yours. And no one else can have the exact same idea in the exact same way that you can. What you have to contribute is not only worthy, but it's priceless to the rest of us. So don't keep it to yourself. Share your gifts with the world. You can truly make a difference. So speak up in meetings, share your ideas, talk to your boss about that project you want to lead. Every single person is unique and has ideas that only they can contribute. And that 100% includes you. Okay, ready for strategy number two? Here it is. 
Strategy number two to squashing imposter syndrome is to remember that everyone is just a person. This strategy is different than what we talked about in strategy number one. And yes, it's true that 98% of the population are just regular non-genius people. But let's take this one step further because I know it can be easy to compare yourself to those people at work or online that hold leadership roles or look so put together and quote unquote successful. Think about it. Once you take away the fancy clothes and the big audiences they lead at work meetings and the nice office or home office or house, they're just a person who looks a lot like you. I used to feel intimidated by my higher ups at work. I worked in tech marketing. So in the corporate world, these people were my skip level managers or directors or VPs or even the C-suite. Basically anyone in any kind of leadership role beyond my manager, just because I knew him or her personally. Those people felt in some way like superhumans. They were always so polished and put together and blunt. They seemed extra intelligent and untouchable. And whenever I was in meetings with them, I felt in some way like I owed them something simply because they had a higher title than me. But then I started thinking about their lives outside of work, and it helped me immensely. I'd imagine them going home at night or turning off the computer and walking into the living room to be with their families. I'd imagine them in a t-shirt and jeans instead of the nice clothes they'd wear at work. I'd envision them walking the dog or at their kid's baseball game or dance recital. I'd even think about them standing in line at the grocery store or sitting in traffic the exact same way that we all do. By intentionally working to humanize these people, I was able to remove them from the pedestal I'd subconsciously put them on because of something so insignificant as work titles. And this made them much more approachable. So I found myself speaking up more often in meetings with them, sharing my ideas with them more openly, and even writing to them directly on Instant Messenger. By humanizing the people I'd subconsciously told myself were in some way better than me, I was able to make great strides when it came to imposter syndrome. It helped me remember the reality that simply because they held higher titles than me does not mean they're better. It just means they might have more experience or more connection, more skills, or maybe they were at the right place at the right time. But it does not mean that what I or you have to contribute is not important or valuable. Okay, strategy number three. I love all four of these strategies that we're talking about today, but if I had to pick a favorite, it would be strategy number three because this one is so powerful beyond overcoming imposter syndrome. And it's something that's worked well for me and served me well in all aspects of my life. So just a little background. I talk often about my time in counseling and my openness about mental health, but I'm not sure I've shared my number one takeaway from my personal time in therapy. Those close to me have heard it often, but I want to share it with you because it's very relevant here. And it is that you can only control yourself. Let me say that again. You can only control yourself. You cannot control your partner. You cannot control your family. You can't control your friends, your kids, the stock market, politics. But what you can do is you can control yourself. You can control what you do, how you respond, how you talk to yourself, and how you think. So strategy number three is remembering that you can only control yourself. From an imposter syndrome at work perspective, this kind of bubbled up for me recently after reading a book about goal setting and productivity called The 12-Week Year by Brian P. Morin and Michael Lennington. 
The authors hone in on the importance of execution and taking action as the single most critical thing that we can focus on every day that is within our own control. I started thinking about this, and then I took it one step further to frame this concept in my mind to help me battle imposter syndrome, which is that I'm responsible for my actions, but not for the results. Obviously, take this with a grain of salt because I'm not saying this is true in every single situation in life. Like I told Corey this the other day and he really pushed back. Again, it doesn't work for everything. I I couldn't go kick my husband, Corey, in the shin and then be like, oh, well, I'm responsible for the kick, but it's not my fault that you're hurt. Like I'm not a crazy person. I know how life works. But what I'm saying is from a work perspective, I truly believe that I am solely responsible for taking actions that I think will produce the results that I want, but I cannot control those results. Let me illustrate this with an example that might help. So as you know, I was in tech marketing for about 10 years. I held a variety of different roles, all of which were focused in some way on marketing. And when you work in marketing, your ultimate goal is to get your target customers to buy whatever you're selling. But because technology is complicated and that's what we were selling, there's a lot that happens between the point that somebody sees an advertisement and the point they're willing to purchase. So leaning heavily on the belief that I can only control myself, I know that I'm responsible for getting a certain amount of ads placed every quarter. That is something that is absolutely within my control as long as I'm executing. But what is not within my control is whether or not a customer sees my ad whether the customer clicks on my ad, or whether or not they buy something because of my ad. Sure, these are all data points I can look at later to see what's working and what's not, and I can adjust my own ad strategy based on that, but I cannot actually control what the customer does. All I can control is what I can execute on, which is creating and placing the ads. This mindset really helped me reframe my work goals. So of course, companies are going to have you have goals like click rate and conversion rate, but I made it a point to make sure that at least some and ideally most of the goals that I was setting with my manager were more execution oriented, like to create and schedule 10 Facebook ads per quarter, or to send out one customer email per week, or to get three new web pages built. Again, let's be honest, companies are always going to be looking at customer behavior as something they can influence. So you're always going to see these things listed as goals. But if you only have those customer-based goals, in other words, goals that are not actually within your control, they're harder to reach because you can't control them. And so if you have a bunch of goals that you can't control and you don't hit, of course, that'll start wearing on your self-esteem. And you can bet that that imposter syndrome will use that as an opportunity to tell you that you're not good enough. But if you can work with your manager to make sure you're incorporating some execution-based goals that are well within your control, you're going to be much more likely to hit those goals, feel good about yourself, and take bigger risks because you know that you're responsible for putting things out there but you are not responsible for how they're received. All you can do is take the data later, learn from it, and adjust your actions. Okay, strategy number four. The last strategy is pretty sobering, and it may feel a little bit depressing, but like stay with me because it's meant to be hopeful, and it's something that it it has helped me out. And I think if you receive this in the best way possible, which again, I know that's not within my control, but if you're open to it, I think it can help you too. 
Strategy number four is about people's biggest regrets at the end of their lives. So there are many articles written by hospice workers who spend a lot of time with people who are in their final days. Those people in their last moments will often share the things that they wish they'd done differently in their lives. And more common than not, it's the things that people did not do that they regret much more than the things that they did. I believe that the worst thing of all about imposter syndrome is that it puts you into a place of inaction. If you listen to it and believe that you can't do it, then you won't try. But in those difficult moments, think about all the people who have left this world and all of those people who have gone before us and remember all the things that they wish that they'd done, but didn't. Let their lessons teach you and decide that you won't be someone who is in their deathbed with regrets of the things that they didn't do. Look, my rowing coach, Caroline King, used to have a saying, and it taught me a valuable lesson. She'd say, your body can always keep going. It's your mind you have to convince. And unless you truly are one of these people who is in their final days, that's absolutely true. Taking that advice years later, after literally throwing up after running a mile, That same mantra carried me through a half marathon, and the second part of it carries me through imposter syndrome even to this day. It is your mind that you have to convince. You are good enough. You are worthy. You literally have one-of-a-kind gifts to give the world. So ask yourself, why not me? What's the worst that could happen if you tried? Is it fear of rejection? If someone doesn't like what you have to give, you're not responsible for that. If someone says hurtful things to you about something that you put into the world with good intention, then remember that their attacks have more to do with them than it does with you. If someone's going to hate on what you're doing, it usually means that they have a demon they're working through in themselves. But on the flip side, what's the worst that could happen if you didn't try? You might have regrets that will haunt you until your very last days. Overcoming imposter syndrome can help you hit your biggest goals, financial or otherwise. It's a key obstacle that you have to overcome, a difficult door you have to walk through to get to where you're meant to go. Before hopping off, you know I love to leave you with practical action steps, so let me just tie all of this together with the bonus strategy that I mentioned. So in addition to these four mental fortitude strategies, something even more practical that helped me overcome imposter syndrome at work was actually personal financial mastery specifically saving up three to six months worth of living expenses. And here's how this helped me. Knowing that I could survive three to six months without a paycheck, that allowed me to stop worrying about layoffs or being let go for not performing well. It also helped me step into my power and start speaking up about my ideas. I no longer hesitated and thought, oh, if they don't like my idea or if my idea doesn't work out, then I might be added to the next round of layoffs. It gave me the security and the confidence I needed to start contributing more in a way that felt empowering instead of what I was doing before, which was basically to color inside the lines as much as possible to not ruffle any feathers and wind up on the proverbial chopping block. Knowing I could be financially free from an employer for three to six months was empowering. And when you feel powerful, there's no imposter syndrome in sight. So I truly hope these four strategies help propel you in the right direction toward a life of personal accomplishment and freedom. And if you feel like the bonus financial strategy I just mentioned might be something that could help you, be sure to check out the resources in the show notes at jessicatoller.com slash 009. 
I'd suggest grabbing the free monthly budget calculator, which can help you figure out how much you can save each month based on your expenses, as well as the free money saving cheat sheet, which will give you 30 easy to implement and practical ideas on how to start incorporating more savings into your life. And before closing out, if you don't mind doing something for me, be sure to share this episode with a friend who also might be struggling with self-confidence or imposter syndrome at work. Just text them over the link to this episode and let them know you think they'd like it. Let's keep helping each other and lifting each other. Okay, my friend, have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you for joining me here. And until next time, work less, live more, and keep on chasing your wildest dreams. Congratulations on finishing another episode of the Goodbye July podcast. If you want more, head over to jessicatoller.com slash podcast for show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode. Don't forget to rate the show, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share it with a friend. I believe in a world where we're all financially free, so let's help each other get there. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Goodbye July podcast.